Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the What's Holding You Back January Writing Challenge edition of the 7am Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now this month, we are live talking about everything that might hold a writer back from producing the work they want to write and how they might overcome those roadblocks that they hit along the way. Today, we get to hear from three wonderful writers. Alex Ferraro, Ethan Gilsdorf, Anjali Mitraduva. Good morning, you three. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good morning. Good morning. They are bright and peppy at 7 a.m. this morning. Uh, Alex Ferraro is a graduate of the Novel Incubator Program, and he's working on his novel, which is a twisty Texas noir called Like Thunder in the Next County. Ethan Gilsdorf is an essayist, critic, journalist, the author of the memoir Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks, and he teaches at Grub Street. He teaches our, I guess, brother program, the Essay Incubator Program. And Anjali Mitterduva is the author of the historical novel Faint Promise of Rain and the co-founder of Galliot Press, a new publishing company ushering in a sea change for the written world. All right. Um, It's going to be fun to have three voices on here. Today, we're going to talk a lot about writing from real life and some choices and problems that you're going to run into with that. We have three people that we're going to hear from that had questions about this. Uh, Remember that you can follow along in the chat. You can offer your own two cents in the chat. Uh, I love hearing people's ideas. Also, if you have some of the similar uh, problems as people do that have sent us questions, you can echo some of that. Uh, with some of your own situations, if you wish. Uh, we also do have a Facebook page now, which is has really grown in number very quickly from just last week when I started it. So I will put the URL of the Facebook page on the notes for the podcast, and you can find it on our Substack page as well. All right. Today, again, we've got three questions. They have a lot in common. The first is from Kathy. And here is Kathy. Hi, my question is about memoir and what's holding me back is my memory or lack of it. I can't remember all the dates and details and dialogue and things like that like I used to. And I never kept a journal um, with notes that I could refer back to. So how can I write a memoir if I have no memory? This is a this is a big question. Um, What's interesting for me, so I also, I when I taught at Boston University, I actually taught a course that was called Fiction in Memoir and Autobiography because there I saw and I believe that there is so, so much fictionalizing, more so than we would normally expect in creative nonfiction when it comes to memoirs and autobiography. So for me, the line between truth and fiction is not uh, very clear. Um, and I would also just tell her, because I'm such a fiction writer, and this might not be helpful at all, but I'd be like, write a novel <laughs> that releases you from everything. But she might really want to write a memoir. So I'm going to throw this first to Ethan, who's our nonfiction person. And Ethan's probably like, no, don't write a novel, write a memoir. What do you think? <laughs> well, that, that first question might be one to think about. But yeah, uh, just because you don't remember everything in exquisite detail does not prevent you from writing a memoir, I don't think. Uh, I think that, you know, it's important to remember that you're writing about truths and not about facts. And even the facts of of memory are disputable, you know, between people. Um, individuals who would have experienced the same thing would have different different versions of what they thought happened. But, you know, I do think there's some tricks and some things to think about. One would be, particularly around the question of dialogue, like nobody remembers dialogue um, as a memoirist. You have to make it up 
And by make it up, I simply mean you're you're trying to make you take your best stab at recreating a moment that you more or less believe happened. You know, you, you don't want to be violating the trust of the reader, in my view, or you know, inventing full scenes uh, that never happened or likely never happened. But you're you're definitely you know that's what the creative and the creative part of creative nonfiction is. You get to get to create these moments, you know, based on what you believe to be actual events. Um, you might remember the emotion you felt. You might remember this was a scene or this was a moment when such and such changed. This is a moment you might have some, you know, some foothold in the memory. You might remember where it took place. You might remember certain details that would allow you to, um, uh, you know, anchor the anchor. And I would also say, you know, to the writer that you could, you'd be surprised what you do remember as you begin to write uh, that memories trigger other memories. Um, I know she mentioned she doesn't have diaries, but photographs are terrific. Um, having conversations with family members or other people who are there is a terrific way to just sort of bolster your opinion or your bolster your memory of, <laughs> excuse me, what you think might have happened. And again, I think it, you, I think she'll find that as she writes more, more stuff will come, you know, will get un, un, unearthed. It will kind of get excavated. So I think that that's important, and I think that the the, the the sort of attempt to understand what was happening can be part of the story. I mean, if there's some doubt, you can you can increase, you could in some ways include that level of doubt in the piece in some way. Um, however, that's, you know, it could just be a little phrase and not really sure how this happened. It could be just a little clue to the reader that, you know, the writer doesn't have the definitive truth, or, or it could just be there's some question or dispute as to what happened, and maybe that's part of how the writer gets you know, interested in their own investigation. Like, what is it she's trying to understand as she's writing it? That could be part of the sort of investigation or the story or the plot of the book in some way. So, yeah, I guess that's a one way to answer that question. There's lots to say about that, but I'll, I'll stop there. Um, yeah, I mean, using some metafictional techniques, uh, which means you're, you're, you're kind of commenting on the process of writing it as you're writing it, um, can be really interesting. Anjali, I know you were interested in that as well when you thought about this question. Yeah, um, picking up on both what you said, Michelle and Ethan, uh, I wonder what the question poser's motivation is to make this a memoir. Um, has she decided ahead of time that it needs to be a memoir? Is she a little open to it maybe being out in the world, not as specifically something that happened to her or that she worked through or that she did? Um, and so that, that, would, that would be where I would start. And if for whatever reason she would like it to be known as a memoir, um, then I think it could be quite interesting, as Ethan said, to include in the experience uh, of uh, of telling the story, this conundrum, this feeling that she's lacking the full set of memories. Um, because, yeah, I mean, as Ethan said, nobody has the full set of memories. I mean, maybe somebody does, but you would really have to have walked around your whole life or the whole time of your life you're writing about with a recording device of some kind. So. Um, so any memoir is filtered through that person's memory and, 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 
And so that could be actually quite interesting. I mean, I suspect a lot of people have this. It's I don't think this is necessarily an issue specific to this writer. Um, and if it's a memoir, then it's about her experience. And if part of her experience is that she doesn't fully remember it, then that's part of it. Um, and I think that could make it quite interesting. And I, I really like what Ethan said about how things may come back. Uh, just Just as in writing fiction, some parts of the characters or some parts of the plot become evident to you as you sit and write it. Whereas thinking about it before, you're like, I, I don't know. Um, and repeatedly that happens to writers. You sit down and you start and you find some way in and it may not be eventually the way in that's going to stick as the introduction, but you find your way in and 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 you see what's there and, and there's more there perhaps than, than you recall. Um, and if you have a note, and you know, you can also just do the the old author's note, uh, which as a writer of historical fiction, I use because sometimes I have to sort of simplify some things or move things a little bit or um, be not 100% adhering to historical fact in order to stick to what I feel is the truth of the story. Uh, so you can you can write an introductory note um, and then and then do the memoir as you would do the memoir to the best of your ability, filling in the blanks, like Ethan said. Uh, yeah. And um, I do think that most readers do read an author's note, especially if it's at the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, you can even you don't even have to call it author's note. You can say, you know, read this. It's really important. <laughs> uh, I think people sometimes are hesitant to um, play around with with the form like that. So so that that's what I would recommend. And and also, of course, what Ethan said and what Michelle said about talking to as many people as you can who were part of the story, if you can, um, or or going to as many sort of sources that were present uh in in during the experience that you're that you're writing about. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um and Alex, and now Alex is in the hard fiction camp the way I am. <laughs> How would you approach this? Yeah, I mean, obviously, my bias is just turn it into fiction. But I, I did listening to that. I, I did. If Kathy were were on this call with us, I would kind of ask, why do you want to write a memoir? Because if it's if it's because you want to tell the story of a particular external event that you experienced, um, that's that's one thing and then memoir is the obvious choice for that but i wonder if it's more i want if, if she's wanting to tell the story of an experience she had or a journey she went on something more internal and that's the kind of thing that i think is better suited to turning into fiction because you can isolate that build a character and a story around it and and have everything serve that that narrative and so i guess it just comes down to what it is you're really looking to express here. Um, does it have to be, does it have to be the story, the story that you're presenting as your own story under your own name, or is it something that you really want to express? And it's, it can be just as personal, but it's something that we better served as uh yeah, as a work of fiction. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, three books that I taught all the time when I taught this uh, BU course uh, were Elizabeth Hardwick's Sleepless Nights. These are all memoirs. Um, now, Elizabeth Hardwick wrote Sleepless Nights in reaction to her husband, Robert Lowell, and their divorce. And Robert Lowell had actually used a number of their very, very, very personal letters in his most recent book of poetry without asking her whether he could do so. So her response was to write Sleepless Nights. And in Sleepless Nights, she does not reference her husband, Robert Lowell, or the fact that she was even married or divorced at all. <laughs> all we know is that something has happened with this woman. It's a gorgeous book. I absolutely, she basically erased him from her life. Um, so I recommend that. I also recommend John Weg Edgar Weidman's uh, Brothers and Keepers, in which he recreates his brother's voice to tell part of the story, because uh, a lot of the uh, the memoir is about his brother. And he writes it as nonfiction, even though he's obviously fictionalizing and creating his brother's voice for the book. Um, and so that book uh, is astonishing. Uh, it's beautiful. It goes through difficult things. Um, it also did quite well. And I also recommend the memoir that's called Lying by Lauren Slater, which is you basically have a character who is just she can't help but do anything but lie. So you'd wonder if anything at all in the memoir is true. And that's kind of a, a trippy thing to think about. OK, we're going to go to the next one. This is Andrea. She has a similar problem. She has chosen to write a novel, but she's trying to maybe stick too closely to real life. I've always been an excellent procrastinator, and that's clearly part of the problem. But my current novel is tripping me up more than usual. The book is based on my life as a teenage party girl in LA in the 80s. I know the voice, a lot of scenes, arcs, and themes, but I'm still not sure exactly what it is yet, and that makes me uncomfortable. I always write from life to some degree, but this is a deep dive into a specific period, and that might be part of what's holding me back. The book is inspired by my past and my closest friends, and this amazing, life-changing, and in retrospect, reckless and dangerous time that we shared. There's such great real life material, but I need to find a satisfying arc in a compelling, meaningful story. And that will likely mean breaking from what really happened, a process that's confusing for me. It has so much potential and I wanna do it right. Any advice on navigating the blurry line between fact and fiction to find the best possible story? Ethan, what do you think? Yeah, very, very great question. I mean, really good question because I think, I think there might be at a certain point a decision that has to be made about whether whether this is really a uh, you know proper fiction whether it should be explored primarily as memoir or you know autofiction or romantic clef or whatever you want to call it um i mean i think the first question is i'm not sure what my story is i mean that's that's probably an answer best a question best answered by you novelists but i do feel like uh, and she didn't say what stage she's at in the writing process but um, you know, it seems that that's a, that's what the first draft is for, you know, just to get it all down onto the page, all the events that she can think of, if it is indeed based pretty heavily on her own personal experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are, these are tricky questions. It sounds like there's a, a, a note in her, in her question around uncertainty about the project itself. And I wasn't sure if the uncertainty was because of her uncertain uncertainty about about the the genre or about her memory or what permission she had to sort of deviate from her memories i mean i think if it's a novel 
once she's figured out what her story is, she should feel feel free to invent and to be, go beyond those personal experiences. But I can imagine it sounds like this is about she wants to capture an era, right, a particular time and in her life that she personally experienced or has, you know, strong connection to, I think a lot of research, and this actually goes to the first question too, which is you can research, you know, your memoirs, you can include uh, lots of uh, stuff in and around your personal experience to again, bolster that. And then maybe there's some, there's some utility in, in researching, interviewing, talking to friends, talking to people who lived during that period of time, you know, reading other books around that period of time, just as a way to sort of, understand the world uh that she's trying to recreate um in her you know in her novel um but but as for the bigger question about sort of the sort of a psychological question perhaps or a writer's block question and then there's a kind of a, a craft question right around around executing this as a as an actual story and not just a bunch of memories yeah. um so two sort of separate but related i think related concerns yeah, this is, but now we're like, well, try to write it as a memoir. Anjali, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, as a novelist, I think this is actually the perfect setup because you have just enough to work with and just enough freedom. So it sounds like um, Andrea has the setting really well in mind enough memories to kind of recreate it. Um, the inspiration, uh, a sense of the characters, uh, even if she may or may not know which one is the, you know, main protagonist or not right now. Uh, and I think that that is just like a great framework to begin with. Uh, and I'm assuming, I'm going to assume that this is going in the direction of a novel, but I don't know, but I could definitely see it really going in the direction of a novel. Uh, and, and the question then is, again, noodling around and figuring out what the story is you want to tell, although she mentioned even having some of the arcs in mind, some of the narrative arcs or the character arcs. Um, and so it seems like what's missing maybe is the, the kind of main line, the main through line or thread. Uh, and that's, again, something that can be discovered just by writing, you know, doing the writing the islands thing, right? Writing the pieces, writing if there's certain scenes that really stick in Andrea's memory, if there's certain feelings she's trying to convey, if, if even if there's some plot elements, like I'm making this up, but maybe some friendship was fraught or something happened or between a couple of characters. Uh, and, and and so just kind of let that go, just write it all and 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 see what comes of it. Um, and, you know, if it ends up being very close to certain people, like if some characters become on the page very close to or don't deviate from, to enough from the real people in her life uh, who might say like, hey, you know, I didn't know you were writing me into a book or hey, that's not how it actually happened, um, then that's the time to sort of question is, am I doing this as a novel? Should I be talking to other people and getting more of the you know facts? Should I be relying entirely just on my experience and imagination? Um, but it sounds to me that this place that she's at is really one of rich possibility 
and perhaps at this stage, whatever that stage is that she's in, not to worry too much. I know it's really easy to tell somebody, don't worry. Um, but maybe try to put that worry aside of, is it too much from personal experience? Is it not enough from personal experience? Because again, as I was, as I said in the beginning, it's all somehow from personal experience. It's all trying to either recapture or convey feelings, emotions, change. Um, clearly, clearly this moment really marked her and, and, and she mentioned that it was life-changing. So how did it, what was life-changing about it? Uh, and, you know, probably in there is, is that main thread of the story. Yeah. Uh, so I had a lot of thoughts on this one. Um, I was thinking about how reality sometimes seems unrealistic and how sometimes when you'll, you'll be, um, workshopping fiction with somebody and you'll point out that something that happens isn't landing for you. And the, the writer will say, well, but that actually happened. And it may, it may have made sense when it happened in real life, because when you experience it in real life, you had a, all kinds of context for it that isn't in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you're, you're always, when you're writing it, when you're fictionalizing something, you're always simplifying it. Like, if you think of the, you know, the the most complex nuanced character in the most complex nuanced novel, you know, that person is still way simpler than than anybody, you know, in real life. It's just you can't you cannot put the totality of a person in a uh, in a novel, though. Um, I, uh, I, I myself often get tripped up trying and try to make characters have too many things and too many complexities. And there's just not. There's just not a way, even in in the, a very long, richly written book, to to give all the context to make some of that stuff land. And so I think when you're when you're writing about real events and you're trying to put real people and real events into your story, sometimes you don't even have an appreciation for the context that you would need to to make that make sense. And so for something like this, um, I would think for one thing, I would. I would say try to take yourself out of it, number one, because anytime that you have a, a character that you are too close to, uh, there's, I mean, there's no, there's nobody you know as well as you know yourself. And so and when you're thinking about context that you're not necessarily aware of, that's, that's when it gets really hard is trying to make a character act the way you acted because you're not necessarily going to be able to convey to the reader the, the, the totality of that person in a way that's going to make them make sense. Um, I'm reminded of a, um, this is acting advice and I can't remember the actor who said it, but um, it was an exercise of try to react in the opposite way that you, that the actual person would react. And in that way, you sort of distance yourself from the character that you're playing. Um, and I, I've tried to do that in writing sometimes is uh, just make a character do the opposite thing of what I would do. Um, I think if you're writing about real if you're writing something that's inspired by a real story, I think sometimes making the center of the story, somebody who is not you, somebody you know, you, may, you maybe know well, but the main character is, is actually a friend of yours. Um, and then the other thing that, that occurred to me is it sounds like she has a setting, but not necessarily a story yet, at least just from this. Um, it's like, well, I want to tell a story set in this time in this, you know, around these, these kinds of people. But um I think uh, somebody in the chat was was identifying, like figure out what the story is. Somebody was suggesting, um, you know, drill down on one particular experience. If this was like 
you, you mentioned that this is about a reckless time, some like one particular reckless night, maybe. And, and what was, uh, what was the story of that? And what was, what, what people learned from that and how people have the people involved grew from that. Um, but I think it's going to be easier to drill down on the story once you've gotten the characters into the simplified form that they're going to have to be for the, the novel. So figuring out what are, um, you know, say who, who's your protagonist? Like what is, what are the two or three key things about that character that you're going to, you know, build them around and just kind of understand that this is going to have to be a simplified version of, of you or the friend that it's based on. And then from there, ask the question of, okay, so what is this, what does it seem like this character needs to learn? Um, and uh, that, that should help you uh, with direction. Um, I feel like there was another point I was going to make about that, but I have lost it. So I think we'll, <laughs> we'll end it there. Thank <laughs> you. Um, yeah, I mean, so in the chat, we've had, you know, something that a little bit like what Alex said, give the characters a problem or a story that did not happen to you exactly to hang your experiences on. Um, another another one says, uh, Andrea mentions that she sees things in retrospective, um, that it was a reckless time. Maybe she can turn one of those reckless nights into a tale and magnify it. Um, one thing, and I actually know Andrea's book, and I know a lot of the things that she's going through. Um, again, maybe leaning into the problem and leaning into the writer trying to figure out why am I so drawn to this? Why am I having so much trouble getting this down on the page? Using that reminiscent narrator that is a first person narrator that looking back at the time that's trying to piece together the story. Um, you, if you do that, there really has to be stakes for the reminiscent narrator. There has to be a reason why they're doing it. And it has to matter their ability to tell the story or not, um, in order for it to, and there has to be a reason why the retrospective narrator is doing it at a later point in their life that preferably something has happened. Um, sometimes we see a lot of the retrospective narrator's life on the page. And sometimes we don't as much. I know, uh, Louise Erdrich's roundhouse, we don't see as much as the, as the retrospective narrator as you would think. And there's just teeny little glimpses. Mm -hmm. um, and yet there's others like Emma Klein's book where we see a lot of the retrospective narrator. I think she might even start with it, which you can do, it's a choice. Um, but also tell the story out of chronology. Um, a lot of things that I, Andrea is a very good writer and th there's things that she's already written in this book that she absolutely loves. She's read it in front of other people. We've all loved it. I'm, I'm a little worried that because those, those pieces are so, so good that she's locked into them. And so there might be a question of that you might have to give up those very good chapters or those very good moments that you wrote. Maybe you can use them for another story, another time, but they might be locking you into a certain way of telling the story that's not helpful to you. And good guy, I've done that, gotten rid of material that I've loved in order to move forward. It is painful, it is not fun, but it's the only way I moved forward and I am so glad that I did it at the time. Um, and then also even um, opening the novel, I know she has trouble with like, the young women, it doesn't feel at the time, it feels like they're just partying and having fun and nothing really matters. Um, and only as we get into the novel, do we have a sense that this is really dangerous and something can really dangerous happen. So writing it out of chronology and starting with the scene in which something really awful happens or starting with something that at least hints to the fact 
that there is a lot at stake here, that there is a lot of consequence here, and therefore what we are going to read has much more weight than we might otherwise think. Um, I've also stopped novels in which the main character was too much like myself. Um, I've just I've battled with them and it just hasn't worked and I've stopped writing those novels. Um, that's, that's something you might need to do. And I know no one likes to hear that because you we hold on to these things so tightly and thank God I stopped those novels because otherwise I wouldn't be able to write what I was, the thing I wrote next. Okay, so um, this is our last question and it, it hedges on a little bit about what we've already talked about, but this is really an important thing to think about both as a, a novelist and as a memoirist, whichever direction you go. Uh, this is from Louise and she says, my question is about writing fiction based on personal experience and or the experiences of families and friends, uh, what kind of content might require permission? What is exploitative? And when it comes to writing fiction from personal experience, what are considerations in terms of, hopefully, publishing and making the work public? What might I regret having put out into the world knowing that readers of fiction do make assumptions about writers based on their fictional worlds? I try not to let these things hold me back, but they do haunt me sometimes. Thanks for your help. Um, I can be a, a stickler about these, you know, uh, what is it, Carl Nogsgaard's uh, Mein Kampf books. He was willing to write absolutely everything about his life and even, even difficult things and terrible things about his wife and marriage. And then she left him. Uh, to me, it's not worth it. <laughs> That's not worth it. I don't know. Or even exposing things about your family um, that they don't want to expose, like really deep, problematic, like even childhood incense or something. That's for me is not worth it. But I've also had my work has been very kindly accepted um, by family and friends that I did rub up closely with. So it can be a surprise either way. Um, but I think it's just so individual what you decide to do. Ethan, what do you think? Well, I probably would answer this question a little bit differently. Actually, I'd be very curious to hear what yeah. the novelists have to say about this, because I've always felt, although I'm not a fiction writer, that the label of fiction has always been a kind of cover <laughs> for, <laughs> for writing about anything. And you can always say, well, that's not really, that didn't really happen. Obviously, people who know you might suspect that certain events are, you know, thinly veiled versions of of, of real events or real people. But from a, from a memoir perspective, I do think... I mean, it's interesting. I think that I think that there's been some shift in the thinking about it. There's been some shift in the thinking in my own writing about this. Certain writers who I admire, I think, have also shifted their their thinking about this. I think, you know, Melissa Febos had something really interesting to say about this, which was that she used to write with the assumption it didn't matter what people thought, and she was willing to expose, from a personal perspective, she was willing to expose anything that she needed or wanted to for the sake of telling her story. She personally wasn't worried. I mean, she wrote a memoir about being a you know dominatrix so i mean that was not a personal concern but what she wasn't thinking about as much was the reactions to people who you know ex exes and family members and so forth um and so i think she shifted her thinking about this a lot mary carr writes about this a lot in her book the art of memoir um where she really just is quite quite clear about you know giving her any family member in particular family member or, or close friend who might might recognize themselves or was named directly that they get they get to read those pages you know they get to they don't get veto power but they get to read those pages so if i think if it's not if it's memoir uh, you know i feel like that 
can be an is an important consideration to to do basically to consider what the what the possibilities would be if this were to be published. In the terms of writing it, I don't think there's any harm in, in writing whatever you need to write. I mean, that's the other thing I would say is that just the writing of it, there's no there's no real harm involved because you haven't published it yet. So I would say the first step is to write it in whatever way you want to write it and feel you need to write it in terms of the story, what needs to happen, whether or not it's based in, on, on real people or, you know, to what extent, you know, the, 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 the questions, the person asking the question is wondering about, you know, it sounds like fictionalizing some of the actual events, right? Um, do what she needs to do, I would say, to get the story down on the page. If and when it gets, comes to the place of publication, then I think that's a different question. And it really, I think, depends on her relationships with those people who might recognize themselves even in her fiction. And just, it could be everything from, my friend was delighted to be included, or my family member was delighted to be included in this, and to, um, they were horrified that they would be implicated in something. And those can be tough, but maybe important conversations you have with people in your life. And I think it is important to understand, you know, tell your side of the story, why it's important you're doing this, see how they, how they react. I, there are some writers who do believe that it's in the end to the best interest of their, you know, their story yeah. and getting their, getting their story out there in the world that, that they're willing to risk, you know, exposing family secrets or uh, causing other people, what, what other people would perceive as being causing them harm. But the writer may feel that the more important thing is to tell their story. Um, and that can be more important than everything else. But, but I do think that the question of, you know, like you're saying, that person wrote that novel and then, you know, their wife left them. I mean, that's something that, <laughs> that you need to think about, you know, how, how, how are real people going to be implicated in that? Yeah. Most of the time people are flattered. I mean, it depends on what the topic is, but a lot of times people are genuinely excited that you've mentioned them and you've included them and it can really lead to some interesting conversations with people who you know. Yeah, I've actually, and I've I've talked to this writer a little bit. She's even worried about, you know, fully exploring and explaining things that are happening to her and attaching it to a fictional character versus even writing about someone else. So so mm -hmm. she's worried that the things that she's writing about herself and her own feelings are going to hurt someone else, which feels very limiting um, to me. And I just don't think you can go around that. You can't go around using your own feelings and your own experience of life um, that doesn't really necessarily reflect on someone else. You're, you're, that's going to stop you in your tracks right away. Um, Ethan, why do you think it's changing? Do you think these writers just got older or do you think something's in the atmosphere that we're, we're more yeah, careful? That's a good question. Maybe they've gotten older and they're a little less reckless and a little more little more mindful of what the effects of their work are because they've been burned. You know, maybe they have gone ahead and said, you know, screw it. I'm going to write whatever I want and, you know, the world be damned. I don't know if there's just a greater sensitivity in general to just the way writing is landing with people, whether that's the increased understanding that certain writing might need content warnings, whether it's about, you know, writing where people are getting now outside readers and with various, you know, kinds of readers who can help writers see things that they're not not noticing in their writing that might be potentially you know offensive or problematic so maybe that's part of it I, I, you know this is just my supposition i don't know that i have any hard data but i feel like people are as a general rule more sensitive about what they're writing and they're they're uh, maybe afraid of the wrong word but they're definitely worried a bit more about how their writing is going to land with the with an audience yeah. um and what are the con consequences of that and so I suspect, you know, you novelists can chime in here, but I suspect that that's, 
that might be something that even novelists may be thinking about more than they used to, mm. you know, mm -hmm. 25 years ago or 10 years ago. I had no idea, but it seems like there's a greater cultural awareness, this idea that we don't just write things and send them out into the universe and, you know, yeah. basically say, you know, who cares what anyone thinks? You know, there's some consequences. People get canceled. People get, you know, blacklisted. People get There get are more shot, consequences now. Yeah, yeah, the consequences are higher now, at least at this moment in, in, the, in the culture. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I know we're coming up on our time, but I do have some thoughts and I want to take this to questions in reverse because um, first I want to address the one on um, reader assumptions. And, you know, when you're writing fiction, it is a little bit of a cover, as Ethan said, which is okay. It's an okay thing. Um, but readers are always going to make assumptions. You cannot, you cannot avoid that. Um, readers will make assumptions, especially kind of the better you do at depicting a scene or writing an experience, then the more readers are going to potentially assume that it happened to you because how else would you write it so well? Um, and so I feel like you have to detach yourself from that. Uh, you know, if you're writing about a crumbling marriage and your marriage is perfectly happy, then be happy that your marriage is happy. And if people assume people who don't know you make assumptions is that really going to affect your life? Hopefully not. If somebody asks you at a reading, did that happen to you? You can say, well, say whatever you want to say. Um, so, yeah, if you worry too much about reader assumptions, I do feel like it's really going to hold you back. Um, and um, in terms of permission, I think that's actually a big question. And particularly now, as Ethan said, I think you, you would I would recommend really asking yourself um Louise, if, uh, you know, are you writing something that sort of belongs to somebody else? Is it a unique experience? I would say you would, you would need to ask, I would recommend that you ask permission. This is not legal advice, of course. Um, but I would recommend you ask permission if it's a, a truly unique story that happened to somebody else that you know about, you know, portions of, um, how you know about it. Maybe if you only read, know what you read in the newspaper that's accessible to everybody, then maybe you don't need to write news, you know, get permission. But if it's based, if any of it is based on any information that was given in confidence to you or in a setting in which you feel like the uh, writer of it was expecting confidence <laughs> um, from folks who read it, you know, I think it's a good idea to ask is it okay for me to base this story on this thing that happened to you or on this thing that you said? Um, and you may be surprised. You may be, you may find that somebody is like, please, please do write it. This would be great. I'm not a writer. I want to have it out there. Um, or you may find that they say, no, actually, thanks for asking, but I intend to write about it that at some point. And I feel like that's my story. And then I think you have to respect that. Um, you know, what's exploitative again, I think, this is just my perspective is anything that takes somebody's suffering or somebody's um a real you know an actual person that you know in your life uh that that takes a very personal deep experience of theirs um and and sort of that they might feel you just used it for the sake of a story for the sake of selling a book but again a conversation with that person i think is the best way to go um for that and um and again if it's if it's if it's an experience that um in which a real person 
you're basing a character on a real person and that real person may show up in not a great light in your book and and still be kind of recognizable um, by maybe people who know the, the actual real person, then break that person up into bits, you know, take this one characteristic that you feel is maybe the one you really want to portray and put it in a totally different character um, and, and build other traits that go along with that, build other traits so that, so that, they're kind of in disguise, you know, so nobody could say, Hey, that was so-and-so I know who that is and what you're doing here. Maybe just use a bit of that fictional cover uh, so that you can still tell the story, but, but have, um, have some protection. Fictional cover. Absolutely. Alex, any last uh, thoughts on this? Yeah. So it, it kind of is similar to what I was saying to Andreas uh, question about, really defining the characters as they are for the purposes of the story is separate from their their real life inspirations i think that's going to help you with uh with what angela was just saying there at the end of um you know making sure that the the real life stuff is broken up enough and and spread around something i tell people in my life is that a character might have a similar experience to you or even say something you've actually said but that does not necessarily mean that that character is you or that anything about that character is a statement about you it's all just um I, I think of it like i played with legos a lot as a kid and you know you would get your lego set and it's a pirate ship or a castle or whatever showing how old i am um and uh then you just take the you build that and then take it all apart and throw the pieces in the the bucket and then build whatever else out of it and so all your life experiences are the like the Lego sets that you buy and those are their own complete things. But in the end, you're just using bits and pieces of them in all kinds of different contexts. And that's what the, you know, your life experiences and the people, you know, and the things they tell you are. Um, and I think it is, I think that is sometimes hard for people who aren't writers to, to understand. I think you do sort of encounter an assumption that um, something is just something a character really is just supposed to be a person and then they can get hung up on uh, that's a um, that's just not a fair representation of me. It's like, well, it's, it's not, it's not, not supposed to be. Um, and then as far as th that kind of gets to the, the last question in, in Louise's comment, which is just, you can't think too much. I, 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 in my opinion about the assumptions of readers who aren't in your life because you know, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there and a lot of them are, are, are pretty dumb and are not going to really be able to understand that that you are not your characters, that your characters are not people, you know, in life. And they just they don't really understand the the creativity that goes into this. And so if you write a character who is, uh, you know, a, a reprehensible person, there probably are going to uh, be some readers who just assume that you you have that within you because you were able to create it. And, and you know, that's not true, but there's a lot of idiots out there. So I. I try not to worry about the assumptions of people who aren't like actually in my life and, and who I'm not, you know, <laughs> personally accountable in, in some kind of real relationship. And then as far as what's exploitative, I, I think I would say, Hey, it goes to what Anjali said about if it's something that was told to me specifically in confidence, then I think there is an obligation to talk to the person before I put that out there and just say, Hey, I'm drawing from it in this way. Um, I don't, you know, this is not about you, but this is, there was something about this that interested me and I wanted to use it. Um, the other thing lastly is just, if there's something that there's something from real life that you don't feel comfortable using or that the person isn't comfortable with you, with you using, I think the key is to 
find out what's what it is about that at its core that interests you and find some other way you can explore it. Like what is if like what is some fictional character's version of that thing that you want to explore? And it might not be superficially recognizable as that thing, but I think you can identify what the core thing about it is that speaks to you and find a different way to explore that. And that's the 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 benefit of fiction is you can you can change anything you want to. So um, once you get to the real really the essence of what's interesting, you can change the people, the events, everything else around it. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And I think too, in all of this, what are your intentions? So if you are writing a character based on someone that you're just pissed off about, that's going to show in the text. And that's also probably not going to make for a very good character. That character is probably going to be very flat. They're going to be very one note. They're not going to be fully developed. Um, so being very careful of, of how you approach, I always use a little bit of myself, probably in every character that I write. Um, and so if people accuse me later of making them look bad. I, I just say, well, that was probably me more than you anyway. Okay. We're going to have to go. You can find everything we're up to on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can find all our past podcasts on there and, um, all our episodes. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate and review the podcast. And that encourages other people to find us. And it makes us look really cool on Spotify and Apple. Um, <laughs> Just some last questions, Ethan, any final shout outs, like how, any final words about breaking through your writing obstacles or writing obstacles in general? Um, try to give yourself permission to write what it is that you feel like you need to write about without, at least for the first draft, without worrying about if it's any good or what people are going to think about it. Um, I think that first step is often what keeps a lot of people from writing anything at all. So if you can somehow defeat that voice in your mind, that, that demon <laughs> who's telling you these things and just get the first draft on the page, I think um, you know, that's, a good, that's a good first step to break through the, the, at least the initial block that, that I experience often. Yeah. Just say yes. And Anjali's got to run, but Anjali, do you have any like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... I would say just to uh, to echo what Alex was saying about, you know, really trying to remind yourself why, what your intention is, what what is at the core of the story, what is it you're really wanting to write about. And if you don't know, because often we don't know, um, I like the whole writing about the writing, you know, sitting down. First of all, I think it makes you feel freer because you're like, well, this isn't the book. This is just me in my journal. This is just me doing this other thing on the side. Uh, but that's where you can play around with, um, you know, I remember this blah, blah, blah. And what really struck me was such and such and just just noodle around. And maybe that is how you find your way to what that core is and how you're going to decide where the line where you're blurring the line between what you feel is fact and what you feel is truth. Excellent. Alex. Um, I would kind of echo what Ethan said. I can't remember who the writer is that said this, but this is a write, write your first draft with the door closed and you can write later drafts with the door open. Don't, you know, there, there will be plenty of people throughout this process who will raise objections and criticize things and tell you stuff about your writing when you're, when you're doing the first draft, you don't need all that in your head preemptively. You will get it later. Just, just get the thing out. Don't worry about how it's going to come across. Don't worry about people seeing it. Cause right now nobody's going to see it. You're just writing it. To, to see what you have um and 
it's as as was mentioned it's i think there's more consequences for things now so it's even easier to to get into your head about it but if you're going to get anything done you just have to be able to set that aside and then trust yourself that that later in the process you'll be able to to get things how you want it excellent yes okay so everyone let's get back to your writing desk close your door to do what you need to get done thank you all three of you you were absolutely fabulous and thank you everyone that gave ideas in the chat as well good luck and good writing